Support for today's episode of Script Apart comes from ScreenCraft. Breaking into Hollywood as an aspiring writer can be a confusing, convoluted path. Fortunately, ScreenCraft are here to help writers with both the craft of writing and the business of Hollywood. ScreenCraft has everything for your writing journey, from video lectures by your favourite writers such as J.J. Abrams and Tony Gilroy, to a daily blog with amazing advice. It's also no secret that ScreenCraft have the best screenwriting competitions around. Hundreds of past winners and finalists have started their careers with the direct support of ScreenCraft. Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV+, Lionsgate, Universal, Blumhouse, Hulu. The list goes on and on of places that ScreenCraft winners have sold scripts to or have got staffed on shows at. So if you're an aspiring writer, don't wait to check out ScreenCraft at ScreenCraft.org today. Follow the link in today's show notes to find out more and get your writing dreams started. Zed is not the first person to find himself lost in no man's land and not the first person to try and answer that question of where do I belong through his creativity. And yes, though there may not be a simple answer to that question, there is a tradition of turning those scars into a kind of roadmap to your creativity and a roadmap to creating your own answer to where do I belong. Welcome to Script Apart, a podcast about the first draft secrets of great movies. Each episode, a brilliant screenwriter revisits their initial screenplay for what became a beloved movie, discussing what changed, what didn't, and why. From first draft to the big screen. On today's special bonus episode, we're joined by the ludicrously talented Riz Ahmed. Riz is not only an award-winning actor known for roles in films like Four Lions, Nightcrawler, Sound of Metal and Rogue One A Star Wars Story, he's also a gifted musician and a prominent voice for change in the film industry, frequently advocating for a more diverse range of stories and storytellers. Last year he added screenwriter to that lengthy list of talents with the mesmerising Mogul Mowgli, a dark drama about a British-Pakistani rapper who suffers the sudden onset of a debilitating autoimmune disease. Zed, played by Ahmed, is a talented MC hungry for fame but growing disconnected from his roots, when illness sends him spiralling into a string of dangerous hallucinations, stalked every step of the way by a mysterious masked figure with links to Pakistan's past. Co-written with director Bassam Tariq, the film won critical acclaim for its intimacy, imagination and vast ambition, innovatively weaving in songs from an accompanying concept album that Riz released roughly in tandem with the movie. In this episode, he tells us about his relationship with writing and the parts of his own life that he brought to the screen in this deeply personal tale. We also talk about the film's prescient echoes of the COVID-19 pandemic and why our scars can be a roadmap to our creativity, as Riz so beautifully puts it. Do make sure you've seen Mogul Mowgli before listening in, as this is a spoiler-filled conversation exploring every one of the movie's major plot points. Once you have, come back and brace yourself for a fascinating insight into what, for my money, is one of the most unique films of the past 12 months. Before we dive into the conversation, a quick reminder that if you want to support the show, you can do so by rating and reviewing us in Apple Podcasts, or better yet, by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com forward slash script apart, where for the price of a single monthly cup of coffee, you can get access to the first issue of our brand new magazine, as well as a ton of other perks. Okay, that's the promotional stuff out of the way. Let's get into my conversation with the amazing Riz Ahmed. A huge thank you to our Patreon supporters. That includes Max Mariner and Jeff McDonald. You're listening to Script Apart, hosted by me, Al Horner, produced by Camille Demek. 
Riz, so great to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Glad to hear it. I'm so excited to chat about Mogul Mowgli with you. I've been deeply haunted by this movie ever since I saw it. It's a movie that knits together so many of the talents in your arsenal as a performer and a storyteller is. To, to watch it felt like a culmination of all these different strands of your creativity that we've seen developing over the last decade or so. Did it feel like that to make the film? Oh, that's really kind of you to say. I mean, you know, it's really strange because when you kind of look back on a project after it's finished, you can make sense of it retrospectively and you can kind of, um, it almost seems more calculated than it is. And actually what was really liberating and, and inspiring about this process and this creative process was that we didn't overthink it. You know, we actually just kind of created from the heart. We tried to create from a very honest place. And I think when you try and create in that way, you end up um, probably drawing a more honest portrait of yourself and where you're at emotionally than you would if you tried to plan it. You know, um, that's not to say that we didn't kind of spend a lot of time, you know, breaking and rebreaking stories and writing and rewriting scenes, um, or, you know, even on set. But there wasn't a kind of, hey, let's step back, big picture. How are we going to weave in this theme that we're interested in and this storyline that we're super, um, you know, excited to share or this element of what I can do as a performer? It was it was just a lot more organic than that. And when you step back and look at it, you go, huh, that's actually a pretty accurate snapshot of kind of where we were at as creators at that moment. All instinctive. That's really interesting. It's um, one of the things I love about it is it's not strictly a horror movie. It, it refuses to be pinned down to any one genre, in fact, but it does fall into a horror tradition of using an exterior threat or change as the kind of physical manifestation of something interior in its main character. So the way that the Babadook was this manifestation of grief, the way that John Carpenter's The Thing was this literalization of Cold War paranoia and mistrust, in Mogul Mowgli, you have an autoimmune disease failure that's, that's the perfect metaphor for what Zed is experiencing. I think you, you described it once as an identity crisis played out on a molecular level. What was so fascinating about that idea to you? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, it's interesting to hear you describe it as a kind of in, in that horror mold because, you know, we sometimes joke and say it's kind of a, um, a Sufi comedy horror musical <laughs> drama. You know, it is it is kind of have this has this hybridity to it, which I would think that Basam Tariq as a filmmaker brings to everything he does. He's, you know, he has a hyphenated identity, as do I, and bringing that kind of almost a sense of mongrelhood to his work, um, and and its tone, um, I, I think is is something that he does he does brilliantly. But it's interesting because I don't know with. You know, how do you dramatize something as potentially heady and as abstract as an identity crisis, you know? And, um, you know, I think quite early on, we were playing around with this idea of, you know, a life-changing event that's out of your control that kind of forces you to have a perspective shift, even if, you know, it drags you cricking, uh, kicking and screaming by the scruff of your neck to take on that that shift in perspective. And... Um, I know like Basam and I drew a lot from the experiences of people around us, our own experiences. And we started kind of digging into this 
idea of um, of autoimmunity, and it was kind of fascinating because I think people from ethnic minorities are much more likely to suffer from autoimmune conditions, and there's different theories behind that. And one of them is that um, you know your ancestors lived in a different climate, had a different diet, our bodies are still adjusting after hundreds of thousands of years and being one part of the world. Another is minority stress theory was this idea that you're in a constant state of low level kind of paranoia or hypervigilance, you know, um, because society is communicating to you that you're you're part of the out group. Um, and there's another theory which is, I guess, a bit more spiritual and um, but ties in somewhat with you know people like Deepak Chopra and um, other kind of like well-being uh, uh, kind of writers talk about, which is that it's, it's about state of mind, and it's this idea that you know we're at war with ourselves, we're attacking ourselves, um, and I just thought it would be a really interesting kind of way to examine this idea of self-hate or not loving yourself or not knowing who you are. So given that, you know, we don't know what causes autoimmune conditions, I thought it was kind of quite rich territory to reflect, like you said, what the character was was going through. And Zed, you know, he's on that journey of trying to, you know, he, he's been trying to kind of find himself in the validation of others. And actually what he's forced to do is sit still and face himself. In many ways, it's a kind of pandemic movie before the pandemic. You know, he's in a kind of lockdown where he has to sit with his demons and work out who he is when he's not able to lose himself and run away from himself through work. That's a description that could have also applied to Sound of Metal. So I'm, I'm curious to know, was there, was there something on your mind? Were you contemplating any one in particular thing that drew you towards two projects almost simultaneously that deal with a connected subject matter? Yeah, it's it's crazy how things work, but the answer is no. Um, you kind of you're thinking about a certain topic. Basam and I are thinking about this film. We're writing and we're sending pages back and forth. And then this other film comes along, which by rights you should, I should probably have said no, no, thank you. I'm working on a project that deals with a musician who's going through this kind of illness that makes him change his perspective. But it was just too good. I thought this filmmaker's too cool. I really vibe with him, and actually this script is incredible. And there's also a a kind of big challenge there with the learning sign language and drumming, which would push me out of my head and into my body in a way that I thought would just be interesting process wise. So I I kind of took it on and, you know, really what I realized is that even though on paper, they sound like really similar films. I mean, they're they're just so different, you know, the way they're executed, the characters, the feeling, the tone of the film, the central thesis and message of the film, you know, um, they're, they're really uh, very, both very kind of unique filmmakers and they've approached this, you know, seemingly similar subject matter in such distinctive ways. And I guess for me as well, it's it's also a kind of um, bit of a lesson that, you know, you can try and pin down who a character is on paper, but when you get under their skin, you know, it's a different kettle of fish. And for me, inhabiting Rubin or inhabiting Zed, which is really, really different experiences. And you mentioned the thesis of the movie there. How do you articulate the message of Mogul Mowgli? I don't know if you, I don't know if you do. (laughs) I've set myself up for a trap that I'm going to slowly back away from. (laughs) That's fair enough. I mean, I guess it's, 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 you know, it dealt, it delves into some themes that I think um, are very universal, which is about, in some ways, a story of the prodigal son, you know, of, of we will try and find ourselves out there in the world, but maybe what we're looking for has been right under our noses the whole time. Maybe it, 
what we've been looking for is to some extent also what we've been running away from. Um, you know, I guess it deals with that. It deals with themes of inheritance, you know, how we inherit the gifts and the curses of the generations before us, how we're destined to kind of slip into the same patterns and, you know, we all end up becoming our parents in some level. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I guess, you know, I guess in a broad sense, I would just say it, it's an exploration. It's a conversation between art and identity, you know, how does your art, how, is, how does your identity fuel your art? And how does your art fuel your identity? Because on some level, yes, you might think, you know, this is who I am. So I'm going to make work about it. I'm going to express that. But actually in expressing it, you're, you're creating yourself. You're creating your identity. And, and ultimately the answer to the question, who am I and where do I belong is an answer that can only be given through creativity, mm. you know, um, identity is a creative act. And so I guess there's something, it can be something quite um, scary about not knowing where you fit in, not knowing where you belong. Um, but there's also something really, there's an tremendous potential in that blank canvas. Um, you know, and, and, and so I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's dealing with some of those, uh, some of those topics and themes, but in terms of what his central thesis is, I don't know. I, I hope everyone walks away from something, walks away with something slightly different. Yeah. Know, like, yeah. In a personal way to everyone. That's interesting. And you, you mentioned, if I can just wind back to something you said a few moments ago, you mentioned it was a hard story to break. You had to break and re-break this story. What were some of the ideas you explored that didn't end up making the finished film along the way? Were there different iterations of Mogul Mowgli before you ended up with the story that we know and love now? Mm. Well, I mean, the answer is yes. There's a ton of stuff that didn't make it into the movie in the end. Um, you know, look, it's this story about an artist who wants to kind of, who's very ambitious and wants to go out there and, and, you know, do his thing and find success and his health takes a downturn and he um, is stuck at home. The place he's been trying to run away from the place that he avoids going the place he's finally forced to, you know, face um, is, is where he's from. And, you know, on a personal level, his parents and on a spiritual level himself, you know, and um, all these demons he's been running away from. That, that seems like a pretty straightforward film, but you can take that in so many different directions in terms of what are those demons, in terms of how much is it about his dad as opposed to facing himself or the place he's from, his cousins. Or So th there was a lot of stuff that we kind of trimmed out of it. But I guess one of the biggest elements of the film that is not in the film is all the dream sequences were going to be in Pakistan. Really? Yeah, this idea of where you're from, um, we kind of thought, well, actually, you know, if the roots of his failed ambition are kind of, you know, familial, and if the roots of his illness are kind of in trauma and ancestral trauma, which is another big thing we look at, you know, in the, in the film, this field of epigenetics is really growing now, this idea that actually you might have diabetes because your great, great grandmother was starved on a, on a, you know, on a slave slavery plantation. And so your genes are still trying to hold on to all the sugar they can. You know, this idea that trauma um, affects our bodies. 
There's actually a brilliant book um, by Bessel van der Kolk called um, The Body Keeps the Score, which is, which is kind of uh, on that topic. But we were going to go back to DNA because like, that's the source of his DNA, uh, to Pakistan, because that's the source of his DNA. That's the scene of the crime. It's where partition happened. It's where some ancestral traumas went down. And um, it's an attempt to reconnect to who he really is. And then we realized like, we, Basama and I actually went to Pakistan. We did a research trip there and we were like, this is an amazing place, but this isn't where we're from, actually. And the answer to where you're from is, is, is it's a tricky answer to give. So I wrote that rap trying to explain where I'm from. And, and you know, that rap is in the film and it's, it's from a kind of no man's land. It's a kind of in-between space. And actually we realize that all of these dream sequences need to take place in a limbo. Um, in a kind of alternate reality, in a kind of imagined space that's like an in-between space. And that, to- that totally changed what was happening. Uh, there was this whole other kind of thriller plot line in the Pakistan flashbacks, but, um, you know, this, it, it became something else, something much more personal. You do still manage to kind of get in some of that historical weight that we all carry around with us, um, especially Zed. The opening scene, um, before we actually meet Zed, we begin with moonlight through trees and the sound of a train chugging through the night. It's a motif that kind of ends up running through the movie, revealing more of what's happening each time. Can you tell me about what we end up seeing on that train, its historical importance, and how it ends up corresponding with Zed's story? Yeah, well, I guess on on one level, I don't want to give too much away or say too much for people who will, you know, going to see the film, but... Oh, this is a spoiler podcast. So we okay, can... Okay, yeah. oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're Wait, all good, man. Let's dig into it. Let's dig into it. <laughs> let's go. Well, it's, um, it's a story of partition, you know. Um, partition was when India and Pakistan were kind of carved into two countries by the British as they were leaving in, in a very kind of frantic and rushed way, leaving the subcontinent after a couple of hundred years of, of ruling the Indian subcontinent. And, um, you know, up, up to about 2 million people died in um, partition. It's the largest forced migration in human history. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people going in these two directions and something really disturbing started happening. You know, there was a lot of kind of, um, you know, kind of just a lot of violence, a lot of rioting between Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs um, at that time. And uh, you had a lot of Muslims traveling West to Pakistan from India, a lot of Hindus and Sikhs traveling East to India where, you know, when they found their homes is suddenly becoming part of Pakistan, just now Muslim country. And these trains would arrive on the other side of the border just full of dead bodies. Um, these trains trains would be sabotaged en route, set on fire. Everyone on there were killed, men, women, and children. So you had these kind of ghost trains arriving. And um, the idea really is that, you know, Zed's father carries this trauma of partition. Um, the trauma of actually being a kid stuck on one of those trains, hiding underneath um, used British military kind of um, clothing, a stack of clothing, such a story from uh, Bassam's family, just surrounded by all these dead bodies and dead relatives. This is something that would have happened to lots of people. And um, and so he carries that trauma. Um, and that trauma is one of, where do I belong? 
you know, of being stuck in this endless no man's land. And, um, and so his father carries that trauma in his DNA and he passes it on to Zed who kind of, you know, that trauma finds expression through, as I said, this identity crisis being played out on a molecular level. Who am I? Where do I belong? The body doesn't recognize itself. So the body attacks itself. But that, that trauma of displacement has been also been experienced by um, Tobatek Singh, who's a yeah. Gawali singer. Gawali is this traditional um, kind of S- South Asian music. It's kind of like gospel jazz. Um, it's kind of spiritual, but also kind of punk. And this character, Tobatek Singh, he kind of takes this displacement and he says he makes art from it. He creates an identity out of it. Um, he says he lives in the no man land. He, 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 he's kind of planted his seeds in those, in the, in, in the kind of fractures that have opened up between East and West, India, Pakistan, us and them. That's where people like me live. And so as well as there being this kind of inheritance of, of, of a curse, there's also the inheritance of a gift. And the gift is, is that, is the creative act, you know? And what we realize is that Zed is not the first person to find himself lost in no man's land and not the first person to try and answer that question of where do I belong through his creativity. And yes, though there may not be a simple answer to that question, there is a tradition of turning those scars into a kind of roadmap to your creativity and a roadmap to you know, f- creating your own answer to where do I belong. So um, that's how, you know, partition kind of, um, bequeaths these kind of scars, but also, um, yeah, an invitation to kind of create your own, your own sense of belonging to Zed. Hey, this is Al, just jumping in to tell you about two of our great sponsors this week. First, guys, we need to talk about Cave Day. Cave Day is the world's most focused community. They lead group focus sessions every day on Zoom to help you get more done in less time. If you write screenplays, I probably don't need to tell you that revising scripts requires supreme focus. The best writers know they need to shut out distractions and harness everything they've got to overcome obstacles, both internal and external. Cave Day is perfect for helping with that. Think of it like a group fitness class, but for your work. A trained guide leads check-ins, deep work sprints and energising breaks. Members report they get two and a half times more done with Cave Day's science-backed method. Join the world's most focused community and work alongside Emmy and Oscar-winning writers. Script Apart listeners can get a seven-day trial and 50% off their first month by using the promo code SCRIPTAPART, that's all caps, at checkout. Head to caveday.org to get involved. That's caveday.org. Support for this episode also comes from Coverfly. If you're a screenwriter who's still getting your work out there, you'll love Coverfly because they curate the best screenwriting talent discovery programs all in one place. On Coverfly, you can submit your script to writing fellowships, labs, competitions, and festivals, and track the status of your submission through your very own Coverfly writer dashboard. They're also an incredible resource for aggregating data on emerging writers and helping connect great scripts and writers with industry professionals. To date, hundreds of writers have met their manager or agent through Coverfly, And these writers have gone on to work for Hollywood companies like Universal, Netflix, CBS, Amazon, and Blumhouse. 
Coverfly is helping make the entertainment industry more accessible through their data-driven talent discovery program. So if you're an emerging screenwriter with a finished script, be sure to check out Coverfly.com today. Click the link in today's show notes to find out more. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Scars becoming a roadmap into your creativity is a really nice way of leading us into the next question. Um, We then meet Zed doing what he does best on stage in front of a screaming crowd bearing his soul, performing these rhymes that speak to his dual identity as a British Muslim. His hunger for success in these early scenes makes what happens to him all the more brutal. I'm curious to know, Riz, like who was Zed to you and what parts of his journey did you pull from your own life to write? Like where did Zed start and Riz begin? It's deliberately very blurry. You know, it's something that Bassam Tariq, um, my co-writer and our director pushed me to do. It was very uncomfortable for me to kind of take personal elements from my life or from my family or from, you know, um, you know, and burning ambition and devastating disappointment. That is the roller coaster ride of a creative life, and to put that on screen. Um, but yeah, it, in short, I guess it's it's heavily drawn from my life and also Bassam's life. You know, this idea that you want to, you want to be a success because you want to represent your people and you want to make stuff better for them, but also because you kind of want to escape that place, you know? Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm on tour, never seeing my family at all, but it's for them. Or Bassam saying, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm out here making this film, but it's just all for you. It's for my kids and for my, for my wife. How often do you see them actually, mm. you know? Um, it's about that kind of bind, you know, um, and, and that's something that's definitely was personal to me, to Bassam, to lots of other kind of creatives that, that we know that feel that burden of representation, but also the claustrophobia where they're from, you know, the place that they were from isn't a place that tried to make their creative life possible in some ways. Um, but their creative life wouldn't be possible without it. It's the, you know, the barriers become their, the inspiration. So what do you do? You have to keep in touch with those barriers. They inspire you, but if you get too close or trap you. Mm. Yeah. And the, um, we see that again in that scene. So it's a wonderful scene at that family gathering. Another character is chastising Zed for calling himself that instead of his real name, Zaheer, implying it's some sort of betrayal. And we, we also see him in that scene kind of seemed to dissociate himself from his heritage a bit, listening to a bit of a cassette of Pakistani music before turning it off dismissively. How do you describe that tension within Zed? And and what did you want to explore by writing that conflict into his character? Yeah, well, I guess it was what I was just touching on now, which is that, you know, the obstacles can often be the inspiration. So you need to kind of keep in touch with some of those obstacles. You need to keep in touch with where you're from where you're from can also be an obstacle in itself, you know? Um, and those obstacles can kind of box you in and, and trap you a, a little bit. So I think at the start of the film, he's kind of claims to be representing his people, his culture, but really he's a lot of what he's doing is driven by ego and it's really about him. And it's, um, you know, it's that dismissal of, as you said, Kawali music or that just pure frustration with the kind of messiness of home. Um, and what we kind of get to later on is a kind of acceptance of, of it, you know? What we get to at the, at the end is, is um, Zed actually kind of writes a, a rap song that is inspired by that Kawali singer, 
um, Zed chooses, you know, not to go and tour, to put his health first and put in that family time to heal, to heal physically, but also just to, for them to both heal, you know, and there is that, you know, that, that sequence at the end, which I would describe as, as healing, which was strangely, you know, was unscripted and we didn't know how to end the movie. Um, so we kind of improvised that. Oh, wow. So what were some of the like stand-in uh, endings for the film that you originally had in the script? <sighs> to be honest, we knew that we needed to end it, um, you know, after, after Zed kind of makes that long walk down that metaphorical corridor um, with some kind of, some kind of, um, some kind of homecoming, but whether that was back on stage and back on tour. So you have that kind of circular, um, structure and you, you end up with him performing in front of a crowd, but in what way is he different? That was one question. Another one was, do you just end it in the kind of no man's land, you know, is that home actually do we end it in a dream sequence do we end it in a kind of space we're not sure where it is um we had a kind of sequence actually that was scripted but never and we shot it as well but didn't make it in in the end which was within his kind of dreamscape he goes and he finds Tobatek Singh the Kowali singer and um who's, who's kind of dead, you know, if Tobatek Singh is a kind of metaphorical sickness of not knowing who you are, he finds that, you know, that sickness has been slain and he kind of goes and um, approaches him and he kind of lifts the veil of who's there. And, mm. um, in a reference to the classic, you know, Sufi, um, Sufi story, the conference of the birds, we're thinking maybe he lifts the veil and who he sees is himself, you know, we didn't, we got rid of that. Then we also shot an, an, an alternate ending where within that dreamscape, he finds Tobatek Singh and then um, uh, RPG, who's a younger rapper that Zed is so scared will replace him at the start of the film. By the end of the film, he understands that he's just a link in a chain and he happily passes on his music to him. Um, that Zed takes off the Mughal style kind of robe that his hospital ground gown has transformed into and gives it to RPG almost kind of like crowning him and saying, you know what, like I inherited this mess and now it's yours, <laughs> you know, uh, good luck. Um, so there was that ending. Um, in the end, we just thought, nah, let's just ground it. Like practically what's, what would happen next? I, go, I don't know. It might be quite boring. You know, dude's at home. He's sick. Like what he's recovering. And we just kind of realized actually, you know, at heart, this film isn't about all these abstract ideas at its heart. It's a father son story. And we need to end it with that moment of connection. So we were there in a studio with an hour left to shoot. We had a bathroom set. It was quick to put up. And we were like, all right, how about I'm taking a dump and dad comes in and we have a chat. It'll be like that. A call back to the hospital scene. How it will be different? I don't know. I just started chanting the rap. Um, and we just kind of, we, we just kind of went into it, you know, Ali started uh, chanting back and there was this moment of, okay, these two guys that have been scarred by a sense of displacement and not knowing where they belong are now healing themselves and each other through this, this, this song, this art, this response they've created to displacement, this anthem about displacement, um, 
you know, it's taking from the Kowali singer, Tobatek Singh, but he's turned it into a, his own kind, kind of contemporary rap. So it's, it's bridging that divide and it's trying to heal that scar. Um, and it's ultimately just about them kind of connecting, you know? Yeah, it's the perfect place to, to wrap things up thematically and the, you know, a beautiful way to leave that character. You seem to have really enjoyed writing this movie, Riz. What does that mean for you now? Like going forward, having been kind of, uh, having written Mogul Mowgli and, uh, you know, presumably been emboldened by its success, is writing going to be like a bigger and bigger part of, of what you do? Do you think you might start to kind of juggle that more and more with, with acting gigs or how do you think it's going to play out? I guess the more I write, the more I realize just how challenging it is. And, um, I guess, it, you know, for me, it's, it's not so much about specifically writing or directing or producing, producing or acting. It's like what I enjoy most is the collaboration. And sometimes a collaboration will be one around writing. Sometimes it will be as a producer. Sometimes it will be as an actor, but I think what Mogul Mowgli really encouraged me to do was to find those collaborators who really, who you can really be vulnerable with and who can really understand um, and they understand you and, and to just, to just open yourself to collaboration in that way. I think it, I didn't leave that going, wait, well, we won the screenwriting award. Oh, I'm a great speaker. <laughs> no, I thought, man, I'm so lucky to have Basama as a collaborator and collaboration really, it draws something out of you, you know, that maybe you, you might not draw out of yourself if you were left to your own devices. So I guess in terms of what the future looks like, I, I would love to kind of continue to find my, my, my collaborators, my tribe and, and work with them. And I think that's what these last couple of years have been about for me, you know, finding Basam and working with him, finding Darius and just finding him as a, such a kindred spirit and us working together. And um, with Michael Pierce's film um, encounter that's coming up soon. Um, yeah. Just, that, that personal connection, I think, is what I value the most. Yeah. It must be hard prioritising. I mean, especially off the back of your Oscar nomination earlier this year, you're such an in-demand actor. You did Venom, you made a Star Wars movie. You could easily settle into a career of acting in blockbuster movies if you chose. But you also seem to have a commitment to telling your own more intimate stories and impacting the culture that way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know, Riz, how are you kind of working out which opportunities to to take advantage of and and is the hope one day to be able to kind of marriage those marry those two disparate things i just mentioned like could we one day start to see like riz ahmed written blockbuster movies that have yeah. the budget of a venom but that allow you to write with the intimacy and cultural specificity of a movie like this one it's a great idea. Right, let's, <laughs> let's go talk to the studios right now. I'll call them now. A hype man. Let's get this movie. <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that dichotomy, in some senses, things have never been more um, disparate. You've got like kind of these entertainment spectacles, these thrill ride movies and these franchises. And then you also have like, you know, um, you know, these incredible, um, smaller, more intimate stories that actually, you know, very rarely make it to the cinema now even. Um, but in other ways, I think we're seeing a kind of, we are seeing a convergence. I think we're seeing um, bigger films that have 
more to say and a lot of heart and are trying to be brave and bold. Um, and I think we're seeing kind of first time filmmakers and indie filmmakers getting, being given bigger budgets than they ever would have before in the streaming age. So it's kind of interesting, you know, like I'm not sure where things will go, but um, I don't know, just something that in terms of how I try and filter, you know, what I should do and how I can contribute. I always, I guess I just think, does it stretch me and does it stretch the culture? Um, and sometimes one will mean the other. And sometimes actually, you know, it's just one, but ideally you kind of have, have both. And that's something that I'm really trying to kind of build out with my production company, left-handed films. Um, you know, it's left-handed. It's about being unorthodox and flipping the script and going left field, really, and just trying to put stories out there that maybe we just haven't seen before. And if it's something that's maybe, um, you know, impacting the culture because it's new, it's probably also going to be something that pushes me out of my comfort zone. You know, I think often, ideally, performance is the, is the experience of the actor and the audience going on the same emotional journey, right? And if something's pushing me out of my comfort zone, it's probably pushing the audience out of their comfort zone as well. So where those two meet is, I guess, where I try and look. That's the sweet spot. Well, Riz, this has been so much fun, man. Thank you so much for coming on Script Apart. Thank you. It's absolute honour. And uh, thanks so much for the support. And um, yeah. <laughs> See you soon, Riz. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Script Apart, hosted by me, Al Horner, produced by Camille Demek. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.